Good morning. Good morning. I'm Mo H., Recovered Compulsive Eater from Walnut Creek, California. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you, Nancy, for asking me, and thank you for putting together this day so that we can be united. Now, it's very interesting that Nate ended with an um, exercise. I'm going to start with one. <laughs> and it's very similar, but a little different. So I want to say one of the Unity Day little blurbs that Nancy sent to us is how wonderful it is to share our experience, strength, and hope as we stand hand in hand in recovery on Unity Day. So if you're willing, please stand. And what I would like you to do is put your hands out to the side, palms up. Now I want you to turn your right palm, let me see, let me get it right. Left palm down, right palm up, and take a hold, get in, get in, hook in, hook in. So left palm down. So I, so there is energy going from my left hand. I am receiving energy from this person and it's going into my right hand. So now close your eyes and just let the energy go around the room through your body from the left hand to the right hand and you can feel your the pulse in your palm of all of us our heart beating together together we can all right thank you <laughs> and with that that was the uh, that was the theme of our last convention called together we can and they gave out these well they didn't give them out they sold these bracelets, and I bought a whole bunch, and I'm down to one extra. Who didn't get a bracelet at the last convention and would like this bracelet? All right, back there. All right, so there we go. Okay. So I, I do a little bit of reading because that way I stay on topic. Okay, so the forward to the second edition... Uh, says, our society then entered fearsome and exciting adolescent period. The test it faced was this. Could these large numbers of erstwhile erratic alcoholics successfully meet and work together? Would there be quarrels over membership, leadership, and money? Would there be strivings for power and prestige beset these very problems on every side and in every group? But out of this frightening and at first disrupting experience, the conviction grew that AAs had to hang together or die separately. When we had, we had to unify our fellowship or pass off the scene. When I'm in the food, I am totally isolating. I do not have a food eating buddy. I eat alone. In my house, I hide in the garage so my husband can't see me. You'll, you'll hear my story throughout this. But when I'm in the rooms, at least while I'm sitting there, I'm abstinent and I am with other people. And that's what I need. But it didn't happen for me right away. So from for today, the highest service I can give my fellow OAs and they to me is to share experience. There are no instructors in this program. So I'm not instructing you. I'm going to be sharing with you my experience. Um, so I've been in the rooms 30 years, 1989. 
my therapist, after three years of therapy, I said to her, I think I have a problem with food. I had been on a Weight Watchers diet and I just started binging and I couldn't stop. And so I guess I finally became honest with her. When I become honest, it's the beginning. And she said, uh, you need to go to OA. And she found me a meeting at Alta Bates Hospital in, in Oakland, 8 o'clock, I think it was, in the morning. I was in the hospital like this is here. Went to my first meeting. They sold me a copy of the big book and the 12 and 12, and I promptly went home and put it on my bookshelf. You know, that was a big help. So, um, so that was my beginnings. So I've been in the rooms that long, but I've had one four-year relapse where I left the rooms and so as someone said to me when you leave the rooms we can't help you I will make a few phone calls to somebody I haven't seen if they don't call me back I need to talk to somebody so that's my unity I need to connect when I make a phone call if I don't get somebody I keep trying so one of the things is um, Let's see, here's another, here's another quote from the big book. We are people who normally would not mix, but there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. And from Roseanne, she said, together we can do what we could never do alone. I never could have done this alone. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't qualify. I have released 65 pounds. I've had it off for probably 15 years. In there, there have been relapses and slips, but I have never regained all of it back. And I will talk to you about my last debacle, which was three years ago, March 6th. Uh, actually, it was in December. And then I'll tell you how I got abstinent. Um, so when I, as I said, when I'm in the disease, I'm isolating. I'm not working a program. I'm, I'm not connecting with any of you. This is a we program. And if you look in your big book, in the first, uh, where it's, uh, the first edition, the first word, the forward to the first edition is we, is the word we. And then I looked, in the doctor's opinion, the first word is we. We, we. So, here we go. My past. I always like sweets. I always like sweets. I heard it once said that I'm a freeze-dried compulsive overeater. <laughs> and I like that because I could identify because I wasn't overweight as a child. I didn't have any of those childhood memories. I was a dancer as a child. I danced from the age of three till I got married, 23. And so all the dancing, all the practicing, all the shows, all the whatever we did, constant movement, I was able to like my sweets. And I remember my dad would take us out after every show and we'd have a treat. I even remember Gifford's blah, blah, blah parlor. I don't know if you're allowed to say food words, but I won't. So um, my sweet tooth grew. And when it blossomed was when my father was transferred from Washington, D.C. I grew up in Maryland to San Francisco when I was 13. And it's like all hell broke loose for all four of us, my father, my mother, my brother, and I. They all got into their own addictions, and I got into the food. And I would come home from school, and I would make concoctions with food in my mother's cupboard 
so she wouldn't know food was missing. So I'd take things out and add water to them and this and, you know, and, and everything. And that's what I would do. So, um, so, but I thought that my problem was my weight. And the solution to my problem was food. And, um, and I had an honest desire, really an honest desire, to lose weight and to keep that weight off. But I didn't know about the twofold disease. I didn't know about the physical allergy, which when I put that substance in my body, it triggers that allergy. I didn't know I had that problem. And then along with that, I didn't know this part, I didn't know I had the mental twist, where my mind will say, well, it's okay to have one, or no one will know, or I won't tell my sponsor, or whatever I'm going to say to myself to give myself permission to have that bite, because I think that's going to fix what is wrong with me. And every time I tried that experiment, it didn't work. And I, like all, many of you, you know, we can all raise our hands to how many different fad diets we were on, whatever was the next quick fix in the grocery store, or or on the TV, or you know, in the mail. So I told you about my therapist. Okay, so here's another quote from Voices of Recovery. Being part of the group is essential to recovery from our disease of isolation. It means supporting and being supported by our fellow OAs. So I can't work this program without you. So I need you as much as you need me. So, and especially today, when I sh share with you how I finally found neutrality around the food, is I need to work 10 steps on a daily basis. So, um, so I went to my first OA meeting in 1989 at Alta Bates, and then I heard about the How meetings, and somebody brought me to a How meeting in 1992, and I got a copy of the basic food plan. And guess what that was for me? A diet. So I got the basic food plan. I said, oh, goody, this is going to, I'm going to lose weight on this diet. So I used the basic food plan and you guys as a diet club. Diet with group support. So um, here's a quote that I heard once said, when I'm controlling the food, I can't enjoy it. And when I'm enjoying the food, I can't control it. Is that crazy making? Yeah. So, um, so that was me trying to control my food and my weight and not enjoying it at all. I didn't work the steps as was suggested in the big book. And, and this wasn't the one they sold me. I got the third edition. This is the fourth. It's falling apart. I'm afraid to open it. I'm thinking I should buy a new one, but okay. So, when I think of food, I can only remember what it will do to me, but I don't remember what it will do, no, I, when I think of food, I can only remember what it will do for me, for me, but I forget, I don't remember what it will do to me. So, when I think of the food, when I'm thinking of the food, if I'm thinking of the food, I'm thinking, you know, I just feel crappy. Let's say I feel crappy and the food's gonna make me feel better. 
what I forget is food's going to trigger the allergy and then the mental obsession is going to go get going and then I'm on that vicious cycle around and around and around and what gets me off of it? What? You being in the rooms, being honest, someone calling me accountable. Hey Mo, I mean I've heard this said, uh, you know, how are you doing? And I'll say, oh I'm fine. And somebody say, really? Are you really fine? You know? All right, in the doctor's opinion it states, we who have suffered alcoholic torture and just replace the word alcohol with food or binging or purging or restricting, those are all parts of our program, must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And that was the piece I didn't want to accept. I just wanted to, you know, my mother would say, just get some willpower and, and lose the weight and get it off. And she could. The th thing is, she could. But I couldn't. I couldn't. I loved my food. I did not accept the mental twist as part of my problem for a long time. I just had a food problem. So in the rooms, in all those years, so I was in from 89 to 96, I did not accept the mental twist part at all. And, um, and, I, and so I was trying to treat a two-fold disease, body and mind, with a one-fold solution, diet. I'll tell you, it doesn't work. So in 96, my father died. My best friend of grammar school died of many years. And I ate sugar the day she died. Um, I do remember that. I hadn't had sugar for a while. And I was out for, I, I was so embarrassed. And that's what our disease does to us. It shames us. And it embarrasses us. And I leave. And I isolate. No unity. You can't help me. And uh, so then in 2000, I was back up the 65 pounds, and I came back. I heard God say to me, I prayed, I, I yelled out to God, God, please help me, I'm on the Bay Bridge. It's pouring down rain March 6th. I'll never forget, it was Ash Wednesday. I was coming home from my mother's, and she was driving me bazooka. She's an alcoholic. And I prayed out to God, please help me. And I heard 7 a.m. Saturday morning, which was my home group in Walnut Creek. And I went, not that. I said, it's my mother. I need to help me with her. But, I, but somewhere that went in, and I heard that. And I went back to the meeting. And I made a promise to myself that I would never leave the rooms. So from 2000 to 2015, I never left the rooms. And I had periods of abstinence and, and a slip and an abstinent and a slip. And just trying to get long-term abstinence, I just wasn't committed to doing all the steps. All right, so here we go, and more about alcoholism. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to food. No lurking notion. My sponsor says, I don't give up the food just for today. She says, that's a nice phrase to get you through today. She says, it's forever. Have a burial ceremony for my foods. And she's my Ebby. She, I've been with her for three years, and I'll talk to you about her in a minute. So um, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic or compulsive overeater who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? 
I keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, and it doesn't happen. Okay, so here's current, October 2015. I had been on the Region 2 board. Some of you know me from there. I was the events coordinator, working my ass off on that job, uh, booking hotels for the assemblies and the work and the convention. And, and meetings and board meetings and writing papers and calling hotels and visiting. I, I was just, it was a full-time job. Thank God I was retired. But I wasn't working my program, the steps. I was doing the business program and my sponsor was kind of letting me, my writing slide as my program. And so when that job ended, I picked up sugar after five years of not having sugar, but I think the five years was white-knuckled abstinence. My abstinence today is free. I have no thoughts of food in my mind, and when I do, I do a 10-step. So, um, all right, so I, again, together we can. So, <clears throat> so the problem, so the problem for me during that five years was the buildup of emotions. And that's what our problem is. We've, our emotions build up. What do we do with them? And as a child, what I learned to do with them was to eat, was to pick up. I didn't know that's what I was doing or why I was doing it, but that's what I was doing. But I found out all these years in the rooms that it's the buildup of everyday emotions that I don't deal with. And if I eat, as Harlan, who is a speaker on a phone meeting, says, I get relief for nine seconds. And my therapist said, it's only the first bite that tastes good. After that, they don't taste the same. And I try to get back that same taste, like a, a heroin addict tries to get back that same high. Um, so then what happens is the buildup of emotions. So then we have the emotional side of my brain, and we have the intellectual side of my brain. And when those two get into the boxing ring, who wins? The emotional side wins. The intellectual who is the recovered, the person that knows about recovery gets shoved back. And the emotional side wins and I eat. So, so, so what am I to do? And what if I find, what if I find a way to live <clears throat> where the emotional side doesn't take control? I need you in order to work my program. Again, together we can. My feelings had been building up, so during this time, and as I wasn't working my program, okay, blah, 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 I'll skip that. The binging got worse. The binging, after five years of white-knuckled abstinence, was worse than when I left off five years ago. I believe my disease progresses as I progress. It's right there with me. So I'm not gonna pick up and take like my husband does, one little piece of C-A-N-D-Y. <laughs> I'm gonna eat the whole thing, the whole box, and go buy more. So um, after two months of compulsively eating sugar and flour, after not having five years, you know what the body is doing. Sick, and I won't go into all the details of how I felt, but it was ugly. I felt like I had a bowling ball in my stomach. I felt uh, cotton-mouthed, I was lethargic, I was on the toilet all day, and I just kept doing it. But this time I knew what I was doing. And it's like, 
oh my God. And I was up at my daughter's for Christmas and ready, and we were driving home, and I just made a phone call to one of you. And I called her my Ebby. Why I called this woman, I have no idea. She was just a woman in our rooms. And I said to her, I am des... No, I didn't say to her that. I said, I can't stop eating. I can't stop eating sugar. And she knew that I had been abstinent for five years because I was qualifying. Well, now I'm not qualifying in the rooms. And I'm ashamed, very ashamed. And she asked me, are you desperate? And I said, I was on my knees practically in the car, yes. And are you willing to go to any lengths? And I knew this woman weighed and measured her food at restaurants because I had eaten with her before. Not that she'd ask me to, because it's not up to our sponsors to tell us. They share their experience, strength, and hope. So here, so she literally saved me from an alcoholic death. She also asked me, am I willing to work the 12 steps in 30 days? 30 to 45 days, and I went, what? You know, and how we have Godzilla questions. I don't know in OA, but we have a lot of questions. And it's taken me years to get through the steps. But I was willing to do anything. I said, yeah, whatever you say, I'll do it. So here from we agnostics, to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always either easy alternatives to face. It's not easy to say, I'm done with the food. And I'll tell you, abstinence isn't easy. It's hard. And especially for newcomers, there's the withdrawal symptoms. I'm recently recovering from back surgery. I was flat on my back for five months with a herniated disc. And getting off the drugs has been worse than the surgery. And the headaches and the sweats and the sleepless nights. And I thought, and I would have gone back to the drugs if that would have helped me. But I'm not going to do that. All right. Unless we can see, so I have to put down my alcoholic foods, that's step zero, finally, and admit defeat. And I took step one 100%. There is powerful hope in admitting defeat. I said, I'm defeated. I'm done. I'm done. And through this five months of sheer agony pain where I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand, Lane was kind of sort of okay, down this leg because the nerve was being smushed, I swore I would not give up my abstinence for that pain. And I called somebody and I said, how do you deal with pain and program? And she said, give service. And when I was giving service and I could only do it on the phone, I wasn't thinking about the pain. I was thinking about the person on the phone. How can I be of service for you? So from for today, am I willing to admit deep down that I'm like other compulsive overeaters? That's why we're here together. There is unimaginable freedom in that admission. So in telling the truth, in being honest, we are honest with each other. We don't shame each other. I brought my mother once to an OA meeting because she said to me, you know, what are you doing? And so I said, well, I'll bring her to a meeting. So I brought her to a meeting. And when we left the meeting, she said to me, what do those people do to you when you gain all your weight, you leave the room and you gain all your weight back. And I said, Mom, they love you. They love you. I was out to lunch with someone the other day and she said to me, 
what did you what did what did you think of of how I looked? I can't remember the exact words she said. And I said, I only saw your face. I don't scan people like my mother did. My mother used to scan my body to see where I was at. I just want to know you, each one of you, your eyes all looking at me. I feel part of being here today. Okay, let's see where we are. So we either pick up the food or we pick up the steps. And they're very much outlined in the, in the big book and their, their descriptions are in the 12 and 12 AA and that's what I follow the most. So um, the effects of the food will kill us and the effects of the steps will support us. And I heard that because we talk a lot about tools and where do the tools fit in there? I heard this expression once said, the tools are the handrails with which we climb the steps. Is that it? I've got two minutes. Okay. So when the fear of eating outweighs the fear of letting go of the food, then recovery takes place. And that's me now. I have a fear of ever doing that what I did three years ago again. And that outweighs that. So I will work my program. And how do I do it? Um, I work 10 steps. And I do 10, 11, and 12 every day. So if I have an irritation, and I had one yesterday, my husband has these boxes that he has to open every day, and you can't put a knife in there because there's these dialysis bags in there. And so he puts this pen in there, the, not the pen point, but something part of the pen. Well, the pen busted, and the ink squirt out on my brand new carpet. Mm. Three-year-old carpet, be honest, <laughs> be honest. But it's brand new to me. And he told me, and my heart sank, and I just wanted to scream and yell, and that, 10th step, my disturbance. My husband shared that he broke the ink and, and the pen, and the ink went on the carpet. I am frustrated, I am mad. Okay, where am I being selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful? Selfish, of course, I want things my way. I want him to open the boxes with something that doesn't break. I want to be in charge, please, God, remove my selfishness. Dishonest. I'm not trusting God. My dishonest piece is I'm not accepting the truth that this is what he did, this is what he needs to do for, let it go. Please God remove my dishonesty. Resentful. I'm resentful at him because he did this and it was blah, blah. God save me from being angry. I will not mind be done. Please help me show him. He's a sick person, I'm a sick person. Please help me show him the same Pity, tolerance, and patience, I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. How can I be of service? I can uh, get the carpet cleaners in and say, we got ink here. Do you have something special to take that out of? I mean, he, he cleaned it pretty good. And then the last one is fear. Well, my fear is that my carpet is ruined. Is this fear of my finite self versus infinite God? Well, of course, it's of me. Please, God, remove my fear. Direct my attention to what you would have me be. God would have me be a loving and kind and supportive wife. And I ask you, God, to remove all these defects of character, and I assume you will. That's a tenth step, page 84 in the big book. If you have any questions, give me a call. I'm going to do a couple readings, and then I'll be quiet. So into action, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people around us, both in the rooms and outside of the rooms. My, so for today, my joy in recovery is multiplied in direct proportion to the extent in which I share it with other compulsive overeaters.
and I love sharing my program. I do weigh and measure when I go out most of the time, and I can't tell you how, and my sponsor said, it's not about you, it's about them, and I can't tell you how many people have asked me, where did you get that scale? What, you know, that's cute. Uh, my mother could use something like that, or what are you doing? And so sharing the message, and then from the big book, give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. I'm done.